with us through it all. You take us by the hand, Holy Spirit, and you guide us through it all. says I have God says that he has a purpose 
and that has been decreed from the throne and the enemy can send anyone he wants to bring accusation or judgment but God said I will thwart it I will turn it back I have decreed it and it shall not come to pass the enemy's plan is already undermined and God is already ahead of it he's already ahead of it and I, I'm just telling you he tried to have his way with you in this past year with your help he didn't because God's got a plan and I'm not here to embarrass you brother you know I love you but I felt so impressed right during this song to tell you what the Lord showed me three nights in a row now exactly the same dream three nights in a row and exactly the same outcome each time and you know what it told me the enemy's looking for you but he can't find you and, and, and just now I felt the Holy Spirit saying because if you stay under the shadow of the Almighty he cannot find you he may search for you he may, he may have a plan but God has already overshadowed you and his plan is greater and it will come to pass I just want to pray for you right now Father in the name of Jesus I thank you for my brother I thank you God that you know our name you know the assignments that you have already placed upon us even before we do Lord God and we know that the enemy would want to place his assignments and cancel out yours but God your word is true and it shall not come back it's been spoken and it shall not come back void and empty but that it shall be fulfilled so we say thank you father for the covering of your precious blood the covering of your word we thank you for the spirit of god that dwells inside and bears witness to us lord god and father even in the difficult times in the times of question there is a peace that passes all understanding and I pray that the peace of God would rest on him and guide and direct his paths Holy Spirit in Jesus name We sing that chorus again, just that one part. You know my name. Come on. grateful for the Spirit of God. 
We love you, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you that you speak through dreams. And God, we thank you. You're faithful to us, Lord. You're faithful to us, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your guidance, Holy Spirit. You are the compass for your people. You lead us. Now, paths of righteousness, and we thank you, God, for that. Jesus' name. Real quick before we transition, we want to pray for the lit crew. They're traveling back from their weekend, and we just we just want to ask God to continue because the enemy comes in any moment, any opportunity he can. He's a thief. Can I tell you that? He's a thief and he's a liar. So we're just going to pray for them. God, we pray for the lit crew right now. We pray for protection over the vehicle. God, we pray for the engine. We pray for, Lord, we pray for angelic assistance, God, that there are angels assigned to their vehicle. Lord, as they travel, God, we thank you for a steady hand, steady focus for, for Justin or whoever's driving. God, we thank you that there is divine protection over them. We plead the blood of Jesus over them. God, we thank you what you're doing in this uh, group of young students. God, we thank you for Pastor Tracy and the heart behind the lit crew. God, we thank you for fire multiplied in their life, purifying them, making them holy and righteous. And God, we declare fruit in this ministry. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody who agrees says amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Life Church this morning. We love you guys. Before you have a seat, you are more than welcome to shake somebody's hand, uh, give somebody a high five, give somebody a hug. In the name of the Lord. What a sweet presence of the Lord here today. Well, good morning. Special day today. How many people know what today is? Sunday, that's right. Well, today, uh, I'm going to ask Pastor Bob and Miss Amanda, can you guys come up here real quick? We want to honor them today on Pastor Appreciation Day. It's, uh, you know, what a beautiful picture of a pastor's role. Y'all come on up. Come on up. Oh, wait for the lady. Amen. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. 50 years. That's right. So Pastor Bob and Miss Amanda have been serving as the, the for their, their mothers and fathers in this house is what they are. They're the pastors here, and they have been, uh, when when he was speaking over Andrew this morning, that's just a beautiful picture. And I was, I was so grateful in my heart. I was thinking, I was like, God, thank you so much that we serve under a man who is submitted to the Holy Spirit that is not just going through the motions, but he hears from God. And that was a picture of the, the father of this house shepherding the sheep in this house. And so they've been here 19 years. They left a, a successful, wonderful, thriving ministry to come to a place that was literally, uh, well, spiritually, should I say, it seems as if it was on life support. Things were falling apart. This place was in financial uh, ruin almost. And they had every reason in the world to say no, except they had God's direction. And they came here. They came here faithfully, and they've been serving here. And 
Can I tell you, I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for their sacrifice uh, to this church, their sacrifice to this body. And man, we just want to honor them. First, we have a couple of gifts for them. But first, I want to ask, can we? Can I get some people to come up here? We're going to pray for them. And everybody stretch your hands. Some of the prayer team, can you guys come? Andrew, can you? Uh, Ellen, if you're in here, can you come? Tara, Christy, anybody else who feels led to come and help me pray with our pastors? We, we just want to declare and decree God's will over their life. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. For our pastors, God, we thank you. God, we thank you for fire. God, I thank you, God, that the season that's coming upon them, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus, Lord, that your hand is so heavy upon their life. Lord, I thank you for multiplication. I thank you for multiplication in every area of their life, God. I thank you, God, that the seed of the Word of God that's in their heart, God, that it's it, it has taken root. God, and it is manifesting. It is it is producing fruit, God. That generations upon generations upon generations are coming behind them, God. As long as you decide to tarry, Jesus, Father, that the fruit from their life, it shall remain. God, I thank you that the prophetic edge on this ministry, God, is increasing. God, I thank you that the voice of God is becoming more clear in these latter days. Father, I thank you for signs, wonders, and miracles following the preaching of the gospel. God, I thank you that intimacy is increasing over their life. God, I thank you for direction. I thank you for financial provision. I thank you for spiritual growth in Jesus' name. God, we bless them right now. We bless our pastors, God. We thank you for them. Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus over their health, over their minds, over the ministry you've called them to. God, I thank you for fervor and fire. I thank you for faith, God. I thank you for new ideas, God. I thank you for tenacity. I thank you for just a aggression to come upon them like they've never seen before, to seeing the kingdom of heaven advancing in the earth, God. Lord, I thank you that you're speaking clearer through dreams. That there's an increase, God, in the dream language. I thank you for visions, God. I thank you for wisdom. God, he's asked you many times. She's asked you many times for wisdom. God, we declare the wisdom of God over them. To shepherd these people, God. To lead this church. Father, we thank you for them. We thank you for them. We love them, God. And we bless them. I bless them in Jesus' name. We bless them, Lord. We bless our pastors. Amen. Miss Amanda, we, we have a gift for you. Christy, can you bring that up? Pastor Bob, we also have a gift for you. Uh, we did take up an offering for you, but you're the man that signs the checks. So <laughs> so there there is something to bless your family. It just needs to be sorted out in the back. We love you guys so much. And I tell you from the bottom of my heart, we are thankful for you so thankful for you guys we pray for you faithfully and let me just say if you if you ever feel like there's a time when when you are alone you're not your church is behind you we love y'all so much bless y'all in jesus name can we give them a round of applause amen Here's to 19 more.
Also, we do have cake to celebrate this pastor's appreciation day. You cannot eat it yet. You have to wait till the preaching of the gospel happens. And then after service, you guys are welcome. Come and share and be blessed in Jesus' name. You said, and if you had not said not now, everybody be gone. Get your cake. <laughs> Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Um, I, hey guys, how about we just do this now, real quick? Um, I've asked a couple of the gentlemen to hand out this piece of paper, a copy of it to you. Um, hope we have enough. If not, we can run more off. It's, uh, I was going to wait to the end of the message because it goes with this, but it's some ideas or thoughts of how to pray for Israel and what's going on in the Middle East. And so you can just take that, put it to the side for now. Um, I want to remind everybody, though, that this weekend... Say this weekend. this weekend. That means this coming weekend. Not today, right? This weekend is about over, all right? Uh, this coming weekend, Friday night, 7 o'clock. Say 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. We begin our weekend with Jason Beard, and, and we're excited about that. Be this Friday at 7, uh, Saturday at 6 p.m., and then Sunday we'll have a 10.30 service as normal, and then we'll come back at 6 p.m. on Sunday. So four services with Brother Jason. He's looking forward to coming. We're looking forward to having him back. It's been a few years since he's been here, and it was a, an incredible time. Then it's not the person, right? It's, it's, it's that which they're carrying, which they're bringing. And if we come with expectation, then God will meet us. And so I just challenge you to pray this week. Remember it, pray about it, even fast in preparation, saying, God, we want all that you, that you have, all that you, are, are, are you want for this weekend, just bring it, okay? Just bring it. I just like that. Just bring it. Like, like you're telling somebody, just bring it on. Just bring it on, okay? Um, I, I've got a lot of material, really, that I'm going to try and go through very quickly. Um, uh, there's just so much going on. But I want to take a few moments today to shed some light on the current war uh, and potential of wars, multiple, in the Middle East. But now, before I do, I, I want to make a, a, a statement or a preface to, to this. Um, this is... Me, okay, this is where I'm at. I uh, do not use the word Palestine or Palestinian um, in my conversations concerning things in the Middle East. And the, I'll tell you why. And, and then it's very simple, really. Because there is no such thing as a Palestinian nation. There is no Palestinian history nor Palestinian language. Um, the Romans 
changed the name of Canaan and Judea in 135 AD after the Judea's second insurrection against Rome. Uh, the Romans named the province that was known as Judea Syria Palestinia, meaning Palest Palestinian Syria. And they did so with this reason. The reason they put Palestine on there out of Judea or Canaan was to obliterate the link between the Jews and the land. That was purposefully done that way, to remove any remembrance, any link for future generations between the land that God had given uh, Israel and uh, the name attached to it. And so before modern day 19, uh, before modern day Israel in 1948, the people of the land who were not Jews were simply known as Arabic speaking people. In fact, Jordan uh, was the homeland for the majority of these people. And it wasn't until 1964 when the founding of the Palestinian Liberation Organization of the PLO um, was founded, which it in itself is also a terrorist organization, but it, it, is, uh, it wasn't until 1964 that the, the term Palestinian was applied to a territory or a people. Okay, before that, it was simply Arabs or Arabic people. Um, so if I use the word in a quote, uh, if I use the word, it's either because it's in a quote, a report, or an article, or something of that kind. When I talk to people about the land of the Middle East, I use the, I use the land, the term Israel. That is the land of Israel. In fact, Israel has been promised more land than it has ever had, and that is still going to happen because God's word is true, and God doesn't lie. And so when, when you hear the media and everyone use the word Palestinians, there's no such thing as Palestinian people. They're Arabic people of Arab, Arab um, background, okay? And, and that's not a um, prejudicial thing. That's just historical truth. In fact, I could take a whole Sunday morning and go through the history from all the way back before Abraham and show you that history shows it that way. I'm not a, talking about a religious persuasion. History shows it to be so. In fact, even those who have written, who are critical of Jews in early history books related to the land as Canaan or Judea and not Palestine. And so I just want to let you know that. Um, that's my personal perspective, my personal viewpoint. And, and I think to use the term is to, um, oh, I don't know how to say it in a nice way, but I'll just try and put it out there. But to say Palestinian or Palestine is to go to contradict God. And I consider that a very serious offense. And so I'm not going to put myself there. So if I use the word, or uh, you hear me use it, it's because it's been quoted, or I'm reading from a report or an article or something like that. This past September, on September 22nd, 2023, at the United Nations General Assembly, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that Israel was, quote, at the cusp, unquote, of a historic peace agreement 
with Saudi Arabia and he, a deal he predicted would transform the Middle East. I'm going to put parts of the quote of what he said at the UN. He said, such a peace will go a long way to ending the Arab-Israeli conflict. He said, it will encourage other Arab states to normalize their relations with Israel. It will enhance the prospects of peace with the Palestinians. It will encourage a broader reconciliation between Judaism, Islam, between Jerusalem and Mecca, between the descendants of Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael. All these are tremendous blessings. Now, two days earlier in the week, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, who is the crown prince and prime minister of Saudi Arabia, stated, he said, Israel and Saudi Arabia are moving closer to normalization every day. And then he was asked uh, if uh, making peace with the current uh, hardline Israeli government led by Benjamin Netanyahu would, would cause that not to happen or would that would be an obstacle. And the, the crown prince uh, responded that it is not Saudi policy to interfere with who's running each country that it works with who's ever in charge. And here's some things that he said. He said, now we don't have a relation with Israel. But if the Biden administration succeeds in making, I believe, the biggest historical deal since the end of the Cold War, then we're going to start a relationship, and that relationship continues regardless of who's running Israel. And then he went on and said, if we have a breakthrough toward reaching a deal that gives the Palestinians their needs and makes the region calm, we're going to work with whoever is there, okay? Those are, if you don't follow this kind of stuff, those are incredibly powerful statements that, have been, that were made at the, wor at the world stage of the, of the United Nations. Of course, what happened two weeks later is that Israel was savagely attacked by Hamas terrorists, and now the Israeli-Saudi agreement is delayed at least for the current season. However, what Prime Minister Netanyahu and, and, and Crown Prince Salman of Saudi Arabia spoke at the UN is very significant. And I'm going to throw this out there just for some of you to, to think about or, or, or ponder. Because as I watched that begin to unfold up to before we knew any attack was going to take place, I'm thinking this, these words would have never been spoken five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. They were enemies. And, and, and I had to ask myself the question, could the now delayed Israeli-Saudi Arabian uh, agreement be the precursor of Daniel 9.27, or could it eventually become the actual covenant that is written about in 9.27? Now, some of you don't know what that is, so I'm going to put it up on the screen. And it says that he, speaking of the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant, an agreement, <coughs> with many for one week. In other words, with many Jews for one week. In the, but in the middle of that week, he will bring sacrifices and offerings to a halt. 
He's talking about the seven-year period known as the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. It's seven years. And he says that for three and a half years, he'll allow the um, uh, the offerings and sacrifices that have stopped because the temple was destroyed, which means the temple has to be rebuilt at some point, and he will bring that to a halt. The thing that's key about that is that Daniel 9.27, that covenant that is specifically mentioned there, is the thing that initiates or triggers the seven-year tribulation period. Okay? That's what starts it. The rapture does not have anything to do with the tribulation period. It doesn't start it despite what the books and the movies and everything else tell you. That's, those are fictional things. The Bible tells us that it's seven years, seven Jewish years exactly from the time that covenant is, is signed that the seven-year period begins. And so we are seeing things on the world stage that are laying the foundation that could be very close to that covenant which brings about the, the beginning of the tribulation period. Um, and I think that's, that's key because it's telling me that we're getting closer to the end. You know, I told a story a few weeks ago about how years ago when I was a youth pastor in Thibodeau, Louisiana, I took a bunch of teenagers and their parents, I took them, uh, or, or uh, some adults, to Disney World. And most of them had never been out of Lafouche Parish, you know. A few had been to New Orleans, that's it. So when we hit Florida, how many of you know, you go through Mississippi, Alabama, you hit Florida. They think, we're almost there. I'm like, no, you're nowhere near there. We got to go halfway through Florida, then we got to go almost all the way down, two-thirds of the way down through Florida. They said, but this is Florida. But we ain't at Disney World. And, and so, but once we made the turn south, they saw the sign Disney. And they said, we're almost there. I said, no, we're still several hours away. But as we got closer, more and more signs and billboards and Mickey Mouse and everything else popped up until eventually you were seeing one almost every other mile. And they said, are we there, there yet? I said, we're close now. Well, my friends, what happened on the stage a couple of weeks ago at the UN is saying we're close. We're closer than I think anybody has even begun to think about it, okay? <clears throat> so what are some of the key components of the current crisis that's going on in Israel and the Middle East? Because it's not just Israel. It, it is the Middle East, and it's expanding quickly. Um, one of the major points of this Arab-Israeli-U.S. agreement um, was that the United States, uh, well, there's several things, but I'm just going to point out two or three of them. The first is, well, let me go back to it, uh, that, the, that it was, was meant to bring about normalization between Israel and Arab nations. Notice that it says Arab nations. This is important to understand. The U.S. administration was pushing this agreement. Of course, the Biden administration wants to push this agreement because Trump had his time. Uh, and, and I'm not, this isn't politics, but, you know, he got a lot of recognition for making 
recognizing Israel, that Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. Of course, he got a lot of blowback from Arab nations and Muslims and everything else. But one of the things that has happened in the last few years um, under this administration is that the nuclear um, uh, watchdog, so to speak, of Iran, they've turned their heads and backed away. And under United States um, regulations and regulators, they believe that Iran is 90% or more um, prepared to develop a nuclear warhead. And they said that it could probably be done in just a matter of a few weeks. And um, so that fact has caused Saudi Arabia, which is a very large nation, very rich nation, to be nervous. And so one of the key components of this agreement was not only to bring about normalization between Israel and Arab nations, um, it was also going to, supposed to include that the U.S. would help Saudi Arabia build, quote, a civilian nuclear program, unquote. And um, why is that? Because they're fearful of Iran. They're fearful, and you think, but aren't they all together? And I said, no, because notice what it says. Normalization between Israel and Arab nations. And the reason for that is, the second thing is you must understand is that in the Muslim world, that 80% of the Muslims of the world belong to the Sunni sect of Islam, while Iran is of the Shia or Shiite belief, which is the, the more radical of the two. In fact, they hate each other. The, the Shia hate the Sunni. Sunni don't like the Shia. And they have fought for years even among themselves. And so you have Saudi Arabia, who is Sunni, and, and the, most of the Arab nations that are Sunni, and they're looking, Saudi Arabia is plowing ahead trying to make um, a pact with the United States and with Israel that would bring security, including nuclear um, provision, nuclear technology, because Iran has it. Okay? A lot of people in the United States don't understand that. Iran is the instigator behind the terror in the Middle East. And its nuclear program has created a great uneasiness with Saudi Arabia and the other Arab nations. So this was to normalize Israel and Arab nations. And, and um, one of the other things is that one of the main reasons for the attack of Hamas upon Israel was to disrupt the Saudi-Israeli agreement from ever taking place, which it has. Because when it happened, Im immediately the nations uh, of the world began to speak out against this horrific attack. And li listen, this is not anything like what has happened before. 
I've been conversing with people in Israel and, and uh, that, that are in the know, and they're seeing nothing like what has taken place. Nothing like this has ever happened since the Holocaust. The atrocities, I would not even begin to speak them from this holy pulpit. But the evil that has been done is beyond imagination. And so with the present uprisings in the Middle East, of course we saw within moments of the news being announced that Israel was attacked and everything else, we saw, quote, Palestinian people or supporters of them from all over the globe, marching in the street and shouting and cheering, even in the very streets here in the United States. Imagine cheering the actions of people who would behead children. It, it, it's, it's, I'm thinking, how did our nation get to a place like this? But I can't go down that road because it's too far off. I mean... You just need to understand that this normalization with Israel is now off the table. But off the table doesn't mean gone forever. Okay? One of the questions that, that I began to ask, because I've listened to several people who are in the know, who have connections and, and, and live there or whatever, is you would think when Hamas, if you've studied any of the wars of 67, 73, even 49, um, you, you would know that in the past, even 2006, when some of the terror groups attacked Israel, many of the other terror groups that are all proxies for Iran, they also attacked. But in this case, Hamas has been attacked, has attacked, and all the other proxies have laid back. And, and, and you have to ask yourself, why? Why is it that Hezbollah, uh, why is it that the others are not there? And I believe the answer is simply one word, and that's God. Let me explain why, okay? You say, well, how could God be in any of the tragedies that took place? How could, how could God be in any of that? Well, then you need to go read your Bibles and see how God turned attacks of Israel's enemies into victories. You need to read your Bibles and take note of how many times God ambushed, disrupted, and sometimes completely stopped attacks by Israel's enemies. And in this case, Hamas was armed funded and trained by Iran for one big day, okay? It was a day that all the proxy armies, militia of Iran, would launch simultaneous attacks from all sides. Israel's completely surrounded by enemies and, and the, with the goal to annihilate Israel. Hezbollah from Lebanon, Hezbollah, is the military branch that has taken over the government in Lebanon several years ago. So why haven't they... In fact, it is, it is um, basically fact that Hezbollah has over 150,000 rockets and guided missiles. Not just rockets that shoot off and you hope that they're going to land somewhere that hurts somebody. They actually have guided rockets also. Uh, the militias from Syria and Iraq, 
the Houthis from Yemen, which actually yesterday uh, an American warship shot down. I think it was nine different drones and four different uh, rockets that were fired from a rebel group in Yemen towards Israel. Uh, Hamas, the Islamic Jihad in Gaza. Why, why haven't they all come out? Why haven't they launched an attack? Well, on October 7th, the day of the attack, Hamas saw an opportunity on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War um, and when Israel was surprised by an attack by all of the nations around it on its most holy day. And Hamas saw Israel celebrating a high Sabbath. And if you remember two weeks ago, I finished up our series on the fall festivals of the Jewish uh, uh, um, calendar. And that we said that the last one is a week long, but after that comes the eighth day. Remember that? The eighth day? And it is a high Sabbath day. It is the end of the year and the beginning of a new year. It, and it marked the 50th anniversary of the last time Israel was surprised by its neighbors attacking on a, on a holy day. And so there's, th there's this thing about, I'm just telling you, there's this thing, if you search history, you'll see that uh, among uh, those of uh, Muslim persuasion, if I can put it that way, Arabic persuasion, and, and it's feelings towards, there's things about anniversary dates, cycles, that mean a lot to them. And so Hamas basically saw that it, here's this 50th anniversary. Here's when Israel was last surprised. Israel was in a holy day. Israel was not ready. Israel was not there. And so they took it upon themselves to take the glory and, and, and do the attack alone without awaiting uh, waiting for Tehran's orders or without coordinating with any terrorist organizations. So What's my point? Well, because of their pride. How many of you know pride is the greatest sin there is? It is the downfall. It was the downfall of Satan. It's the downfall. It's, the, it's like the, the, the door that opens the door to every other sin. But because of their pride, um, what they were able to accomplish, as, as horrific as it was, uh, was... Uh, obviously did not annihilate Israel. But what it did was waken Israel up. And they were able to push back those terrorists. But at the same time, it gave them time to call up almost 400,000 additional reserve units into their army. Major U.S. and British naval ta task force and air support have now moved into the region and are within striking distance of, of Gaza and any of the nations around there. Additionally, the United States put Hezbollah, again, Hezbollah is the military organization that has taken over the government of, of, of Lebanon, and they put uh, Hezbollah, the Houthis, who are Islamist political and armed organization in Yemen, and the military of Syria, they put them on notice. And, and the United States, I took notice of this last week. I, I was like, 
man, I, I'm writing stuff down because I said stuff is happening so fast, I'm going to forget all about all this stuff. But we had a, a general in the, uh, the United States military um, who warned Syria that if they get involved in any way, shape, or form, that they, his words were, we will level Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria. Now, Syria, why did they say that? Because Syria possesses and has used chemical weapons on their own people during their own recent civil war. Okay? So why is that important regarding Bible prophecy? Well, the Bible mentions three specific wars that are prophesied to take place before the tribulation period. Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38, and Isaiah 17. So the significance of the warning to Syria, at least in my eyes, had to do with the prophecy that is found in Isaiah 18. In fact, many of the Bibles say an oracle to the nation of Syria, or in the oracle uh, of Syria. And it literally describes a day where Israel is, is filled with fear at night, but the next morning awakens to find Damascus completely destroyed. Look, in Isaiah 17 and 1, it says, See, Damascus will no longer be a city, but will become a heap of ruins. Verse 12 and 13, uh, four, through 14 says, Woe to the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. Woe to the peoples who roar. They roar like the roaring of great waters. Although the peoples roar like the roar of surging waters, when he rebukes them, who's he? God. When he rebukes them, they flee far away, driven before the wind like the chaff on the hills, like tumbleweed before a gale. In the evening, sudden terror. Before the morning, they are gone. This is the portion of those who loot us, the lot of those who plunder us. Now there are a lot of theologians that dismiss Bible prophecy. They don't believe in it. They say that, the, that there's nothing to be completed. It's already taken place. And they will tell you that this, has al this, this uh, prophecy or oracle has already taken place. But history, secular history, proves them wrong as Damascus is the oldest continually occupied city in world history. It's never been destroyed. It's never been destroyed. It's never laid in ruins. It may have been conquered, but it's never been destroyed. So the fact that the United States singled out Syria and said, if you get involved, we will level Damascus. Oh, my ears went up. I'm like, okay. Uh, if, if they don't do it, Israel will. But that warning's already been put out there. The second thing is that Psalm 83 is another prophetic appointment on God's calendar. Now, many scholars disagree about this being a war in the future. But I disagree with them, and I'll tell you why. And that is because this psalm uh, 
was not written during a time of war. It was written 3,000 years ago by King David's worship leader, Asaph, who, during a time of great prosperity, liberty, and peace. But Asaph, the writer of Psalm 83 and a number of other psalms before that, was not just a worshiper. He was not just a songwriter, okay? According to 2 Chronicles 29 and 30, he was also a seer or a prophet, okay? You can look it up. I'm not going to go to that scripture. But as a seer or prophet, Asaph saw beyond the period of peace that they were living in to a time when this confederacy that's mentioned in Psalm 83 would seek the utter destruction of Israel, and that time seems to even be getting closer. It points to a coalition that rises against Israel and the judgment of God that falls on them because they have taken up arms against Israel. Look what Psalms 83 verses, the first four verses say. God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent. And God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. I want you to notice something there. The psalmist says, your enemies, God. You notice he didn't say our enemies. He said, your enemies and those who hate you. Remember that, because at the end I'm going to come back to that and tie this all together. It says, they make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come and let's wipe them out as a nation so that the name of Israel will no longer be remembered. Why is that so important? Hamas, who attacked Israel just a couple of weeks ago, they have a charter, which is a manifesto. It has actually 36 separate articles. I'm not going to read them all to you. But the basic underlying goal of Hamas and almost every other organization that's linked to it is the destruction of the state of Israel through jihad, which they call holy war. Article 13 of their charter says this, because this is important for us to understand, because listen, Israel has said this is not an, a police conflict. This is not like a, a two-week two thing up till we quell the uprising. They have said it is time to cut off the head of the snake. It is time to level Gaza. And that's why they told the people of Gaza to get out. Don't know if you saw it or not. But Hamas actually blocked the roads trying to keep the people in northern Gaza from getting to the southern part of Gaza who could eventually escape into Egypt. And why did they do that? Because their infrastructure of tunnels is built in the northern part and Israel is getting ready to go in and completely obliterate it. Now, you say, well, that just doesn't seem like God would have anything to do with that. Well, again, you don't read your Bibles, but let me help you understand what Hamas says. This is their, part of their charter. This is their reason for being. Peace initiatives and so-called peaceful solutions 
in international conferences are in contradiction to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. Those conferences are no more than a means to appoint the infidels as arbitrators in the lands of Islam. There is no solution for the Palestinian problem except by jihad, holy war. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are but a waste of time and exercise and futility. This is their founding document, okay? So this is key for anyone who wants to understand that no matter what Israel would do or promise to do, it is not going to stop Hamas or any other terrorist organization with similar charters from stopping their attacks. Why? Because their purpose for being is to annihilate and obliterate Israel off the face of the earth. And even last night I saw the uh, King um, Hussein of Jordan who has a peace treaty with Israel got on the uh, world stage and, 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 and called for the stopping of all of this and peaceful negotiations. My friends, there cannot be peace with people whose purpose for being is to kill and destroy. And that's why we say there will be no peace in the Middle East until the Prince of Peace comes back. Okay? So the question I have in light of these things is, is it possible that the prophecies of Isaiah 17 and the prophecies of uh, uh, Psalm 83 are in play, or is this the prelude to those wars? Now, most people are more familiar with, they've heard Ezekiel 38, they're not familiar with it, but they, th they, they think they know what that's about. It actually takes place after these first two wars, at some point. So, we're talking about Gaza, we're talking about Hamas. What does the Bible say about Gaza? You might be surprised to know that in the Old Testament and New Testament, Gaza is mentioned at least 20 times. In almost every situation but one, it refers to the coming judgment upon that territory and its people because of the evil and its atrocities that go against God. Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Muslim Brotherhood, Hezbollah, and terrorist organizations had their roots as far back in the Bible as Joshua's time. While Hamas was not officially founded in, uh, until 1987. Its ideologies go all the way back to the days of the Philistines. Philistines, Philistines, tomato, tomato. However you got it, okay? In Numbers 34, after the Exodus... God told Moses to tell the people to drive out all the inhabitants of the land once they crossed the Jordan River. Drive them out. People who were already established there, he said, drive them out. Why? If you read, you'll find 
that the people who were living there were committing the most perverse atrocities against God. So when Israel conquered the land of Canaan, in Joshua 10.41, it says, Joshua subdued the whole region just as the Lord had commanded, from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza, and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon, because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Now, I want you to stop for a minute. Did God come down with a sword and fight the battle? No. The Israeli soldiers fought, but God fought for Israel. We must understand that in modern times. That, that what's going to be going on in the, in the days and weeks or months to come is Israel is at war, but we must understand that God has made a covenant with Israel. And God is there to sustain Israel. I know a lot of my Christian brothers and sisters will find fault with what I'm saying here this morning. They're saying we as Christians should not be taking sides. I'm not taking sides. I am standing on the side of God and his word. There is no side with evil. What does light have to do with darkness? Nothing. In Joshua chapter 11, verse 21 and 22, we read this. And Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country. And Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Anakites were left in the Israelite territory. Only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod did any survive. Now fast forward from Joshua's day to 2006. When Hamas took over the Gaza territory. You know how Hamas took over the Gaza territory? Israel was pushed by the United States to give up control of that area. And if they would leave, they were told that they would have peace. And the minute they left, this group moves in and they become the government over the territory. And not only are they have been attacking Israel by firing rockets and other things, they have oppressed their own people. And this is really one of the sad things, is the civilians who are not Hamas, who are under the oppression of this oppressive regime within this territory of land on the Mediterranean coast. Until... October 7th, when those horrific attacks in Israel took place, up to that day, thousands of citizens in Gaza, the inhabitants there, crossed over into Israel every day to work alongside Israelis in peace. Every day. They crossed back and forth. There was no issues. There was no problems. But Hamas ended all of that because the moment it happened the borders were shut down water was cut off electricity was cut off food was cut off medicine supplies cut off all of it was cut off they brought upon their own selves and the peaceful citizens of Gaza who didn't ask for it 
they are now reaping the casualties of war. There are three unfulfilled prophecies concerning Gaza. First one is found in Isaiah eleven fourteen. I don't have time to expound on them, but I want to make you aware of them. It says, but they shall swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines. That's Gaza. The land where that is known as modern day Gaza is the land where the Philistines lived, okay? Towards the west, they shall plunder the sons of the east together. They shall lay their hand on Edom, that is south central Jordan, and Moab, which is northern Jordan, and the children of Ammon, uh, that is Jordan, shall obey them. In Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 4 through 9, it says, For Gaza will be forsaken, and Eshkelon, a desolation, Ashdod, which was a Philistine uh, stronghold, will be driven out at noon, and Ekron will be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Carathites. The Carathites were a defined group that were closely associated with the Philistines. Uh, they were a ferocious people. He says, the word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of Philistines. I will destroy you so there will be no inhabitant. Did you, did you just notice what I said? The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. He did not say a Palestine. Because the land was known as Canaan. He says, the word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan. If you read that, you'd think God's against Israel. But he says, the land of the Philistines. He said, I will destroy you so there will be no inhabitant. The seacoast, Gaza is on the Mediterranean coast. The seacoast will be pastures with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The coast will be for the remnant of the house of Judah. That's an unfulfilled prophecy. And the last one is in Ezekiel 25, verse 15 to 17. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because the Philistines acted in vengeance and took revenge with malice in their hearts and with ancient hostility. I want you to see that, that I put ancient hostility underlined it. In, in other words, it's an ancient hatred. In other words, it goes back a long way. He says, because you acted in vengeance and took revenge with malice in their heart and with ancient hostility sought to destroy Judah. You see that? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am about to stretch out my hand against the Philistines. In other words, against the inhabitants of Gaza. And I will wipe out the Carathites and destroy those remaining along the coast. And I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. Now, why do I point this out? I know this isn't a get up and shout and run around the church kind of thing. But I want you to be informed. Biblically grounded, because there's so much nonsense out there on YouTube and social media about what's going on. You need to know what God's Word says in the, the context of the way it's written. Remember, when these prophecies were given, those 
when they were given by God, those who wrote these prophecies did not have the names of the people of today, Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, and so and so and so. They had the names of the current nations or territories and the inhabitants of those territories. So with what God told Joshua, what did he tell him? When you inherit the land, go in, destroy, drive the people out, destroy the towns, everything about them because their atrocities are so great. And when you remember that and then take in these three yet unfulfilled prophecies, keep that in context when you hear Israel's leaders say they're going to wipe Hamas off the face of the earth. And the sad thing is there are casualties of innocence in war. But evil cannot be allowed to, con to continue. Because the only answer God had before that was evil had become so great on the earth, what did he do? He took Noah and his family, put them in an ark, and wiped out everything. And now he's called and made a people unto himself. That nation is known as Israel, and its enemies are making themselves known. And what I'm here to tell you is that God is about to make himself known to them. Amen. If you are not familiar with this individual, you can find some of his things online but are on video. But there's a man named Mossab Hassan Hussef, who's a former prince of Hamas. And he said recently concerning all this, he said, Israel needs to finish Hamas' rule in Gaza. He also said that aid should not go into uh, Gaza until Hamas is gone. Of course, that's not going to happen. That aid has already started going in a little at a time. But this man is the son of a Hamas leader who had a conversion to Christ. And, and his testimony is powerful. If you've not seen it, you can find it on YouTube. I'm sure it's there. But he was raised in, under the leadership of one of the leaders of Hamas. And he personally saw the atrocities that were conducted not just against Jews, but against the people, the civilians that lived under Hamas's governorship. And it caused him such grief that he rebelled against it and left and became a Christian. And he's converted to Christ and now gives his testimony. That's why his words to me concerning this are very impactful. He said he was adamant about the need for Israel to remove Hamas from the Gaza Strip. And here's what he said people don't need to understand. Hamas is not a national movement. Hamas is a religious movement with a goal to establish an Islamic state. 
And when asked if he supported the Israeli ground campaign into Gaza, here's what he said, quote, You know this is an ugly war, and Israel did not start it. Hamas did, unquote. And I mentioned earlier about God's involvement in the present-day ongoings of Israel and the surrounding areas. And people are saying, I don't see God in any of this. Well, let me pull back the curtain just a little bit. You know, the guy behind the curtain kind of thing. And then I'm going to close. Because I know I've gone a long time. But God takes that which was meant for harm and can turn it to good. He can bring something positive out of something negative. Can you say amen? amen. Let me show you just a couple of positive aspects. <clears throat> the attack by Hamas has unified the nation of Israel. Now, if you don't know this, the country has been deeply divided for months. They're, they're, they have re, um, dissolved one government after another, after another, after another, after another. And, and in the last several months, there have been huge protests throughout the land um, against Prime Minister Netanyahu and any of the parties in the Knesset, which is like their Congress, um, that align with him. And before this attack, I, could, I started to put videos up for you, so you believe me, but you can go find it if you want, if you question it. But reservists, uh, it, it is, it's required in Israel that when you reach a certain age, uh, there's only one uh, escape clause, if I can put it that way, is very small and has to do with very orthodox Jews who believe that serving God and religion is their way of serving the nation. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you're a male or female, that when you turn 18, you give at least two years in the military. And um, most of them end up uh, in the reserves. In other words, Israel has an army, but many of them are reservists. And they, have to be, they can be called up at any moment. So before the attack, during these protests against the judicial reforms and things that were being put before um, the people, people didn't like it, the media was spinning it out of control, the reservists for the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, had said on on the news, on video, that they would not report for duty if they were called up because of their opposition to the proposed judicial reforms and legislative proposals. Suddenly, Israel is attacked by Hamas, and all those divisions are gone. The nation is united. Within hours of the attack, reservists were being called up. And I saw videos that were, were being sent out, my friend, videos of grandmas out in the road with bread and, and, and others with bottles of water. And these trucks were running through every town and village and whatever. And the reservists were jumping on with their gear. And they're out there and they're waving the flags of Israel and they're handing out bread and, and throwing them bottles of water and singing and, and, and cheering them on. Because why did that happen? Why did that change all of a sudden? I'll tell you why. 
And the United States needs to learn this. And I'm fearful of what it would take to make it happen. But those reservists understand that those things that were dividing them, polarizing them, mean little when an existential threat comes against their country. Reservists were coming in from all over the globe. In fact, I have a picture of LL Airlines, which is the Israeli Airlines. And if you've never flown on LL, it's amazing. Their security is tenfold what the United States is, if not more. But they sent out planes to every major airport places all over the world because there were reservists out there and said, get on the plane, we'll fly you home. And reservists were coming from all four corners of the earth. See, there's something about understanding that an existential threat, in other words, your existence is threatened to, to, uh, to cease. I mean, to be wiped out. When you're, the existential threat to you and to your country will cause people to set aside their differences for the present time. If, if you remember on 9-11, there wasn't a vehicle or a building that you didn't see an American flag on. Churches were packed for a couple of weeks. Because we felt threatened. Now we've become lax. We've turned our back on God since 9-11. And I don't even have time to go down how we have. And what will it take for God to get America's attention once again? Because see, if your country is destroyed by your enemies, then your political parties and legislation doesn't really mean anything. The second positive, this just happened Thursday. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. The European Parliament passed a resolution calling for the Iran-backed Hamas terror organization to be eliminated. Now, that is huge. The resolution passed 500 to 21. And why is that big? Because the EU has leaned away from Israel in its rights to defend its existence for the last decade or two. And then I mentioned that there's one positive mention of Gaza in the Bible. And it's in the book of Acts chapter 8, and it is the encounter that Philip had with the Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot who's reading in the book of Isaiah. I'm not going to focus in on that part, but I want you to see this verse. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Why is that important? Because God sent Philip to Gaza to preach 
the good news. Even though prophecies had been foretold of the destruction of the inhabitants, even though God has levied judgment against inhabitants of that area because of their beliefs and their rebellion against God, God loved the people enough to send Philip to preach the good news. And there are people in Gaza now that need to hear the name of Jesus Christ. Let me close. Christians must understand, and I'm going to say American Christians more, because we've got this idea that God loves America best. I hate to tell you this, but America is not the apple of God's eye. Israel is. But as Christians, we must understand that this attack is a resurgence of the same spirit of hatred that was at work during biblical times. It is the spirit of Antichrist, which the Bible says is, is already at work in the world around us. It's a spirit of hatred in two ways. One, it is a spirit of hatred towards Jews and their belief that God has given them a homeland. But it is a spirit of hatred against the God of Israel himself. It's twofold. And we cannot look at things through political lenses. We cannot look at things in any way except what this word says right here. And my friends, I'm here to tell you all these things that are taking place, that is Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And I believe that that soon is closer than any people in his church believe today. God is flashing the billboards saying, Closer, closer, almost there, getting there, almost there, almost there. The biblical prophecies are literally being fulfilled before our eyes. And the time to get right with God, with the God of the Bible, not your version of God, your idea of God, but the God of the Bible, the time to get right with God is now now the day after doesn't do it <laughs> now is the time the Bible says now is the acceptable time of the Lord now is the day of salvation what does that mean it means that you must believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God that he was born of a virgin he lived a life without sin he died on a cross. He was dead and buried in a tomb. He was raised from the dead. He now sits at the right hand of the Father and that in the soon 
coming time a trumpet will sound and he's coming back to earth not as a spirit but in fleshly form to establish a kingdom and government here on the earth you must believe those things in your heart and the bible says confess those things with your mouth not only that it means also that if you believe it and confess it then you must repent of your sin repent is not uh, remorse it's not sorry for getting caught it it is repentance means a change of thinking that brings about a change of action look you you can put a a bow and perfume on a pig it's still a pig okay God's not interested in just you having a church membership card or you carrying around a Bible or something like that that's not gonna do it You've got to repent of your sins. That means have a change. Of, you must see that your way has been contrary to God's. And that you agree with what God says in his word. And now you turn your life to begin to follow after him. He says you must believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth. And if you'll do it in that moment, in that moment, another miracle takes place. And it's called salvation being born again by the Spirit of God right now if you're in this place and you need to get right with God I want you to pray with me and mean it from your heart dear God in heaven I confess to you this day I am a sinner I need a Savior forgive me of my sins I repent of doing them. I have a change of heart and a change of mind that you are the Son of God. You paid the price for my sins. And those who believe in you shall not suffer judgment but shall be saved Jesus I surrender all that I am all I'll ever be to you come into my life from this moment forward I am yours Amen. Now, Father, I pray for anyone who may have prayed in this place or by way of the Internet or may see it in a day or two or three to come. God, if they pray, I pray right now, let the Spirit of God bear witness in their hearts, Father. Let the Spirit of God bear witness in their hearts that, Father, that they have been saved, born again. Their lives, their spirit has been chained by the blood of Jesus Christ. A new life, a new beginning starts this very moment. The past is the past. It's gone forever and ever and ever. It is completely gone, erased, never to come back again. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you've been sitting a long time, and I know that. 
but I want us to take a few moments to pray. Would you be all right in joining with me in prayer? If you would, if you're able to stand, would you stand with me right now? If you're not able to, that's fine. It's not a problem. I don't want you to feel like you have to do that. But let us pray right now. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous one avails much. I've put on the list a number of things. We're just going to take a couple of them right now. Let's pray for the defense of Israel, the safeguard of Israel. Father, we just pray right now for the enemies of your people have garnered together and they have said, let us wipe these people from the face of the earth and be rid of them. Father, the enemies have plans. But God, you already know their plans. You already know what their, the intricacies of that plan is. Those plans are. And so we pray for the safeguard of Israel. We pray for decisive victory over those who would bring terrorism to their borders. Father, even as in the old, you had prophets who foretold kings of what the enemy was about to do. And, and God, your people were able to be there ready before the attack ever took place. Father, I believe that there are those in high places who are now serving the nation of Israel. That God, that you have placed them there for such a time as this. Give them wisdom and insight. Whisper into their ears, God. And let them realize that, Father, that the enemy has plans that maybe they hadn't even thought about yet. And God, that they would be already there for them. Give the political leaders, give the, the military leaders, God, wisdom that comes from your throne to, to bring about critical, decisive, strategic decisions that would go forth and God would be victorious. They would be victorious in, in, in what they're called to do. Father, we pray for the families who are grieving from this war. God, this is, this is going to be a, not a short thing. There's so much more that, that's on the horizon. But God, we pray for the families who are caught in the crossfire, so to speak. Those who are grieving already from loved ones that they have lost. Those who will grieve when they get the word that their sons or daughters have been lost in the fight of battle for their nation. God, I pray that somehow through this, for the I pray for the Messianic Jews who live in Israel, who know you. God, that you would use them in a strategic way. And that, God, they would be used to reach out to their kinfolk, their, their brothers and sisters in, in Israel who do not know you. And that, God, maybe even in their time of sorrow, it would be that which brings them to a relationship with you, Jesus. God, we pray for the first responders who are there. Give them strength. Give them wisdom. The doctors, the nurses, the medical staff, the rescue organizations, all of them. God, that you would be with them and protect them. Give them the wisdom and things that they need to be able to operate. And then, God, I pray for 
all the people. I pray for those who are spreading terror that they would receive salvation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are living under the the reign of terror, whether it's in Gaza or the West Bank or in Israel itself. Those who do not know you. God, you love them. God, let through revelation, let them come to the cross and come to the salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that there would be many Damascus Road experiences that Saul experienced when he was knocked down and he says, Who are you, Lord? And you revealed yourself to him. God, I believe that it's in times like these that you are able to grab the attention of people in dynamic ways that could never be done under peaceful conditions. I pray for many Damascus Road experiences that bring about voices of righteousness in the land and would call the people to repent for Messiah is at hand. The footsteps of Messiah can already be heard. He's coming down the hall. He's coming back for his people. God, we pray for them. And then according to scripture in Psalms 122, verses 6 and 7, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, may they prosper who love you. Peace be within their walls and security within their towers, oh God. And then lastly, I pray for the United States. God, we pray for our leaders that in this critical moment of time, because that's what it is compared to the backdrop of eternity, a moment of time. But it's huge and it's historic. God, that we would have leaders. They would have the courage and the audacity to speak out and uphold the name of Israel and its rights. Father, already politicians are dividing the aisles. They're trying to get their hands on that which was meant for your people. You said you would bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse it. God, let it, the United States never withhold its hand towards Israel. As long as we're able. And I pray for a revival that would shake our nation. Awaken the cold-hearted Christians sitting in chairs and pews across this nation who are only worried about satisfying their wants and desires. God, that you would awaken the pulpits, awaken the pews, awaken those who walk through the doors and let someone somewhere rise up and say, there is a word from the Lord today. There is a word from heaven's throne and that God, that people would be pierced 
in their hearts even as they were on the day of Pentecost and they would respond in like manner saying what must we do to be saved shake our land shake the churches shake the people and turn their hearts towards the cross and call upon the name that is above every name the name in which salvation is only found the name of Jesus Christ our Lord our Savior and our soon coming King we pray in Jesus name Amen Amen I want to thank you for taking time to stay with me I know it's a lot. But I want your hearts right. I want you to understand what God is doing and what God is saying. I love you. Appreciate you. If you need prayer for anything in particular, then come and let us pray for you right now. Otherwise, I just simply bless you in the name of Jesus. As you walk from this place, realize you're going into your called mission field where God has planted you and put you. And for this time, let there be great fruit brought forth for the harvest and kingdom of God through your life and your influence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.